Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Lord's Cricket Podcast with the former England captain Nasser Hussain. But before that, I'd like to say a big thank you to the Norfolk Cricket Society for getting in touch on Twitter about the Graham Fowler podcast. I'm glad you enjoyed it, with or without a pint of beer. The tweet was encouraging people to listen to the Fowler podcast and and with a pint. Uh, But anyway, um, you're encouraged to drink whatever you wish uh, listening to the Lord's Cricket podcast alcoholic or non-alcoholic i don't mind um but thank you very much for getting in touch and and i'm glad you enjoyed the show also a big thanks to mj noster on twitter as well thanks for your kind words about the foxy podcast i'm glad you enjoyed it uh foxy as i said was um during the show was great fun he's a real storyteller if you do get a chance please do listen to the graham fowler podcast well listen to them all really that'd be fantastic but um he's maybe not the best known of some of the some of the names that I've got on the show so far. Um, He played 21 test matches for England back in the 80s. So for the younger listeners, um, he's not a name such as a Botham, a Willis or a Gower. Um, But he is a fantastic storyteller and back in the day, he was also a great left-handed batsman. So yeah, do give that a listen. Right, uh, this week's guest is Nasser Hussain. I found it really interesting to sit down with Nasser. His story of hitting a century in your final test knock after playing 96 tests is not unlike one we've heard recently with Alistair Cook. I guess the big difference is that no one knew at the time it would be Nasser's last innings. Only 35 players have achieved the feat in history, Cook being the most recent. I dug into the archives. The first player to score 100 in their final test was England's Henry Wood way back in 1892 against South Africa. It was only his fourth and to be his final test. He was a wicketkeeper. Unsurprisingly, it was his only test 100. Now, there's only one player that's ever scored a century in both innings in their final test. That was Charles Jack Russell in 1923 against South Africa, the original Jack Russell. Um, I don't think he's any relation to the one we know from the 90s. Um, That Jack Russell played for Essex in England. He played 10 tests and scored 500s. He averaged over 50, so was clearly a very good batsman. Interestingly, he opened the batting in the first innings and batted at six in the second, scoring a century at number one and then at number six um he fell ill during the game i was reading up in wisdom which i think explains why he came in at number six in the second innings um in recent years jacques callas brendan mccullum aravinda de silva jason gillespie yes that double ton v bangladesh that was his final test and greg chapel have all finished their careers with a hundred in their last test match but NASA is the only player to do it at Lords. So let's hear about that now. Occasionally you get stuck behind a sort of member, an old, with, with all respect, and a slightly old, doddery member, and you're like, excuse me, sir, I've got to go and um, get out to Shane Warne in five minutes. Could you just hurry along a little bit? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Mr. Hussain, off you go. You're listening to the Lords Cricket Podcast with me, Will Rowe. These are the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. Welcome to the Lords Cricket Podcast and uh, welcome Nasser Hussain. Nasser, how are you doing? Good. Always great to be at Lords. Love this place. Great stuff. Um, I'm going to open up with a, a slightly weird question to ask you, actually. And um, the question is, did you enjoy cricket? 
Uh, yeah, very good question. You've obviously done your research. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I found it. I was a nervous cricketer. I was a worrier. I always think there's sort of two types of cricketers. There's there's ones that worry and feel like every day of a test match is like an examination. Or there are others, the Kevin Petersons, Darren Goffs of this world, who see it as a stage to go and express themselves and have no fear of failure. I was in the former group. I had a fear of failure. And so every morning I used to wake up and it was like an examination. But when you succeed and when you do well and when you're strolling out and some bloke on the Tannoy system goes and now leading out England is Nasser Hussain I can tell you there's no better feeling so um, it is it is um, not difficult but it's full of its pressures but enjoyable pressures I'd like to ask you about your early life um, <clears throat> you were born in Madras now Chennai um, you moved over to Ilford when you were seven years old what was life like growing up in the Hussain family? Um, in in well, it wasn't much different. In India, it was very much driven by cricket. My dad was a member at the Madras Cricket Club, um, Chepok Stadium, where Chennai Super Kings play now, where the Test matches are. Um, we used to spend our lives on the outfield, either watching my dad play or waiting for my dad to finish at the bar or something. And me and my brothers and my sister used to just do sort of throwdowns on the outfield and enjoy ourselves. And same when we moved to Ilford, um, we lived with our uncle for a little while, and then moved into a house just near Valentine's Park where um, Essex play or used to play some first-class cricket and we spent most of my childhood, uh, me and my brothers and my dad, down the Ilford Cricket School really playing cricket every day virtually. As you're hearing, Nasser Hussain grows up in Ilford in Essex. After the family moves over from Madras, now Chennai in India, when he's seven. He's born in 1968 into a talented family. His elder brothers, Mel and Abbas, become successful in the city and as a businessman, respectively. Younger sister, Benu, is a professional dancer in the Royal Ballet but Nasser's the cricketer. His father singles him out for this, despite Mel and Abbas also being good at the game. I wonder if he feels that his father put undue or maybe unneeded pressure on him. It was the right type of pressure. He wanted me to do well. I wanted to do well. He wouldn't uh, settle for second best, you know. <clears throat> but he was also the sort of dad that if you did your best, he, he would give you credit for it. So, um, you know, he, he made sure that I was driven, that he instilled in me every single innings, bowling or batting, was important. There was even when I played benefit games at Essex for, I don't know, Stuart Turner or whoever, John Lever, I used to turn up and if I got out, I was disappointed. Whereas other players, only a benefit game. I, he sort of instilled in me every single innings, every single match is important. None of this sort of, it's, it's not about winning and losing, it's just the taking part and enjoy it. My dad was, it is about winning or losing, <laughs> it is about doing well, it is about doing your absolute best every time. Nasser makes his first class debut for Essex in 1987, aged 19. As a young county pro, he finds himself in awe of a certain England player. When I was growing up and I had a picture of him up on my wall and I'm now fortunate enough to work with him was David Gow and I really don't have to explain why he was David Gow if you're a young batsman. I remember my first game against Leicester for Essex. I was fielding at cover point and I was watching David with his... He had like orange socks on for some reason, as (laughs) David did. And he flicked one past me with an open championship bat or whatever. And it went, before I moved, it went for four. And I went, ah, that's what they talk about when they talk about David Gower's timing. And he was like 40-odd years old at the time. (laughs) But, um, you know, David Gower was my hero growing up. (laughs) 
NASA's talent soon finds him in the England side, making his one-day debut in 1989 against Pakistan in Nagpur. Early the next year, he plays his first test. NASA scores 13, batting at number 6, as England beat the West Indies by 9 wickets at Sabina Park in Jamaica. But during the early 90s, he struggles to hold down a place. Inconsistent selection policies don't help. NASA has to wait three years before another England call-up, the 1993 Ashes series. Only in 1996, though, does he nail down a place batting at three, where he remains for the next five years before finishing his career as a number four. In the summer of 1998, England faced defeat at Lords against South Africa. Following on, there's no hope of victory as Nasser scores his seventh test century, but importantly for him, his first at Lords. It was, I'll be perfectly honest, I um, couldn't get on with this place at all. Um, I couldn't get a run here. County cricket, I used to come here and the likes of Tuffers and Embers and Norman Cowns and people like that used to get me out for a, for a pastime. There used to be a bit of a ridge that ran up the middle of Lords back then. And also just this is the, like the Augusta National of the cricketing world. It has its own rules. You do it its rules. You know, you have to wear whites. And those days, whites in the outfield, I used to walk across through the long room to try and get through there. No, you can't come through here, Mr. Hussein. You've got to go all the way around to the nets. And the nets are, you know, on St. Johnswood High Street virtually. And you forget <laughs> your box. And then you have to come back and get it. So I almost used to battle this place. So even though that 100 was in a losing cause, um, it was a very important one for me because... It made me slightly sort of fall in love with this place. And it was very disappointing. We lost that game quite comfortably to South Africa. But to get 100 here um, against a very good South African attack, you know, you're talking Donald Pollock, etc., uh, yeah. meant a lot to me. Passes and by Sharpenberg's a full-length ball. She's turned square on the onside by Hussein. It'll be two runs, I think, and only two, probably. Oh, Stuart's calling him for the third. He's got a hurry, and he makes it for his 100. Leaps in the air and uh, points his bat initially at the England dressing room and then waves it and points it almost accusingly around the ground. But uh, he's a very, very delighted fellow to have got 100 in a Lord's Test match and he deserves to be so. You were criticised in the media at the time for sort of, they said you'd over-celebrated. It was... It was one of the sort of the themes of your career, really, the the kind of the Hussein's battle with the media. Um, I, you used to read the papers sort of regularly, did uh, you? Know, a little bit. I yeah. mean, there's two there's two ways of doing it. Actually, I didn't know I was criticised for. Thanks for. <laughs> I'll, I'll go and pick someone out about that. Um, there are two types of cricketers, or there should be the ones that don't read anything. You know, you get you know you know everyone like for a moment with the England cricket team or whatever. There's you either don't read them and you try and blank it all out and just try and get your thoughts. You don't want to be sidetracked by um, what other people are saying. Or you do read them and you try and prove people wrong. Again, I was in the latter camp. I tried to read. I used to go back to my room and listen to Willis Botham, whoever, working for Sky, uh, and tried to prove people wrong. All right, there's people that back you as well. So um, there's, there are the rules you have. You know, like you can, see, you can see cricketers, they stay at hotels or whatever. And you can see the ones that have done well. The next day, all the papers used... Now it's all digital, but <laughs> in the old days, you could tell if, like, uh, Thorpe had got 100 or whatever, he'd have every newspaper out. But if you hadn't got any runs, you, you rush down to reception and say, cancel all the newspapers. I don't want to be reading about it in the morning. <laughs> In 1999, NASA becomes England captain after Alex Stewart is sacked following a poor World Cup. 
He's 31. It's a transitional period for the team as central contracts are brought in and Duncan Fletcher becomes coach in 2000. NASA captains England to four series wins in a row, the first captain since Mike Brearley to do so. For someone who's known as a bit of a hothead, he's a successful and well-respected captain. So what's the secret to his success and is captaincy something he wants? I mean, I didn't particularly uh, strive to be England captain. It's funny how things happen. When you're playing Essex schools under 11s, you just want to play Essex schools under 12s. And you've just seen how Ramprakash and Thorpe and Atherton are getting on. And you try and compete with them. And before you know it, you're, Essex un- you're England under 15s. And then you're England under 19s. And then suddenly someone's ringing you up, Graham Gooch, saying, well, you want to come to the Caribbean? I'm like, okay, great. You know, <laughs> Are we going on holiday together, Gray? You know, it's like, no, you're coming to play for England. And then David Graveney's ringing you saying, will you like to be the next England captain? So things just sort of snowball. I'm not one of those that, you know, age 15 was thinking, I want to be England cricket captain. No way. Um, but it came at a good time for me. I'd just been off on a Pakistan A tour. I'd missed out. It was a blessing in disguise. I remember my old man saying to me when I wasn't selected on a tour of Australia, even though they had like five injuries, I rang my old man up and said, Crikey, I can't get in the side. And they got fine. He said, look, your captain, go to Pakistan, did well. And we did. It was a bit of a bridge-building tour after the Gatting-Shakurana incident. Um, and we had a great tour. We had lots of success. And, it, and also I travelled a lot with and knew former England captains. I travelled a lot with Graham Gooch. I knew what he went through. I knew the ups and downs. I knew the media pressure. I travelled a lot with Michael Atherton. I knew Mike, I've known Michael since we were England schoolboys under 11. So I knew what he went through. Alex Stewart. So it, it came as, at the right age and time for me that I fully understood the pros and the, and the cons of that job, the good and the bad of being England captain. I wasn't naive going into the job. 2002 we're sitting in the the Lord's Media Centre there was um, the match the NatWest final against India most people remember that one for Ganguly you know taking his shirt off and waving it round his head but actually if you look back it it was also it's the same match in which you famously stuck up three fingers to the media centre um, what was going through your mind at the time? I mean, obviously quite hot-headed. Oh, I've always been hot-headed. As a player, I've calmed down a bit now. Um, and I was not a great one-day player. Um, my biggest failing was that I used to get 30s and 40s, use up, chew up 50, 60 deliveries, then feel the pressure of bigger hitters behind me like Flintoff or whatever, and then chub it up in the air and get out. And that's the worst thing you, you can do. And some would argue, rightly, the likes of both the Magnew Willis would constantly go on about it. I used to go back to my room, watch the sky highlights, and Beefy and Bob would be on about it. He's not a number three. And I remember being 30 not out, and Saurav was bowling at me, and someone else, uh, Zahir, or whoever was bowling at me. And I thought, for once, get through, get a, get a score, and if you get 100, stick three fingers up to the media centre. So 90-odd batting at this end, ran it down to third man, my favourite area. And I thought, shall I do it? Shall I not? I thought, yeah, why not? You know, you said on 30 you were going to do it. And I stuck three fingers up to mainly Willis, Botham and Agnew. And Fletch, poor old Duncan, was on the balcony. He thought I was sticking two fingers up. He thought we're going to need a new captain next week. So um, it was just how I was. Like I say, you either try and listen and read things and try and prove people wrong or you put it to the back of your mind. And uh, it, was a go- it was a great game of cricket. It was one of the, in the old days, you know, 318 or whatever we got, that was a seriously good score. 
But with their batting lineup, we had 120 for five with all the big guns gone. Um, they had lost so many semi-finals. Obviously, Flintoff in Mumbai had done the shirt off celebration, which Ganguly was. I liked Ganguly for that reason. He was another passionate, wear your heart on your sleeve sort of guy, and I enjoyed the way that he took that Indian team forward. And that was a big moment for them. They'd lost a lot of semi-finals uh, and a lot of finals actually. So them beat us and I enjoyed Saurav's celebration I didn't enjoy it at the time but it showed the sort of character he was he wasn't bothered that this was the home of cricket and this was Lords if he was going to do something he was going to show prove a point he was going to do it yeah it was quite a special game and just to finish on on that match you're now part of the media you, you work for Sky Sports Cricket do you see a certain not sense of irony but do you now see it from the other side yeah um, absolutely you know you're paid to give your opinion on people. Um, I like to think that you've got to be fairly consistent. The hardest thing is being consistent in your opinion because you are asked every day by various media outlets or whatever. You're asked every day to give your opinion. And because the game changes so quickly and people are in and out of form, you've got to just keep remembering if you have an opinion on a player, stick with that gut feeling on that player or that situation. And also you've got to remember what it's like. Don't ever forget what it's like being a player. That how the nerves, you know, up here in this media centre, you're calm, having a cup of coffee, you don't have any nerves or whatever. Down there, it's your career on the line, you're nervous, um, you're out of nick. You forget sometimes what it's like being out of form and under pressure, and you must never do that as a, as a, as a broadcaster. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. In 2004, NASA rides off into the sunset with a fairy tale ending here at Lords. On the eve of the final day of the first test against New Zealand, he decides enough's enough. He feels mentally he no longer has it. England are 8 for naught at the close of play on day 4, needing 282 for victory. NASA goes to bed knowing the next day will be the last time that he'll walk out to bat as a professional cricketer. But we don't. It, it didn't happen as in I didn't think about it the week before. The week before I wasn't retiring at Lords. Um, and obviously uh, Michael Vaughan was injured, Andrew Strauss came in played brilliantly, ran him out on purpose in, in, <laughs> in the second innings, got 100 in the first innings, and I was under pressure, you know, mentally I was gone, I was right at the end of my tether, I was still playing fine, I was going loads of runs for Essex and a few for England, and I was still playing fine, but mentally I was gone, I was right at the end of the, you know, the amount of energy you've got mentally to be an international cricketer. And I saw Straussy, and I'll be perfectly honest, not just Andrew Strauss, the batsman, Andrew Strauss, the character. Duncan turned to me within a week of seeing Andrew Strauss and told me he's going to be a magnificent, fabulous England captain, let alone cricketer. And I saw Andrew, and I saw him get that 100 in the first innings, and I thought, what a wonderful player. He's going to play a long time. Michael's going to come back inside. 
And I remember going to bed before that and I rang Duncan up and I said to Duncan, Duncan, I think tomorrow's going to be my last day for this reason. Strauss and Vaughan are going to play the next game. And a little bit of me would have been like Duncan to say, because I'd go back a long way with Fletcher. Duncan was going to turn to me and say, no, no, Nass, um, please carry on. And he sort of turned to me and went, yeah, that's fine. That's a pretty good decision, really. So I turned up here and I'll tell you what, what, what strikes me now is on that day when you know that's it, um, and it's like Jack Nick, um, Nicholas in his book, make sure you smell the flowers when you're walking around a golf course or whatever. You know, I made sure I enjoyed every minute of that last day. I enjoyed listening to the crowd, listening to the boxes and the members and the champagne corks. And, and the crowd built up during the day because it was a, a good run chase. Um, and I was so busy listening to the crowd and enjoying it. I did run Strauss out and I thought <laughs> I'd better get 100 now. And as I got the 100, you know, again... A good friend at the other end in Graham Thorpe. Um, I just thought this is the ideal time to call it a day. In comes Martin Bells and he drives That's through it. extra cover. A glorious stroke to cap a glorious day for Nasser Hussein. A hundred in his last test at Lords to win the match for England. They still need one more run, but he's got his hundred. This won't be his last test at Lords. Oh no, West Indies to come. What am I talking about? But it's a fantastic innings, and what a shot to get there. This new ball travels full in length, a wonderful cover drive, a immensely characterful innings. They're up on the English balcony, all of them are out there, everyone's standing. It's a great moment for Nasser Hussain. It can't get any better than that. You're getting 100 at the home of cricket, you're winning the Test match, you've got a magnificent cricketer in the side that needs to play a long time in Andrew Strauss. I've done everything I, more than I ever thought I could achieve. Why end your career you know, on a wet, cold evening at Leicester or Derby or wherever when you can end it here, winning a Test match for England? When you ran Strauss out at that moment, <laughs> you were, I know you've been asked about it a lot, but the script wasn't going to plan there because you, you had only scored about, I think, 30 or 40. You must have been thinking... Oh no! I'm going to go out as a pantomime yeah, villain here. Yeah, villain. Middlesex boy on his home ground, yeah. um, going to get two hundreds. I could, <laughs> I could have been an absolute villain. And Thorpe came in, and luckily Graham knows me very well and has seen me run various people out, including him, over the years. And he just said, "Now nah, stop being stupid. Pull yourself together, and let's let's win this game. And we can discuss the Strauss run out another time." Martin Bowles to Hussein, who dabs it into the offside. There could be a run out. There's going to be a run out, and it is Strauss who is run out. There was a terrible mix-up. Hussein played it into the covers and set off on a run. Strauss didn't come quickly enough. Hussein stopped, started again. Strauss by that time was coming. And it was he who had crossed with his partner. And what a sad end to a wonderful innings by Andrew Strauss. Run out for 83 at a time when England was starting to take command. It's 143 for three. So it was very, very helpful for me. Graham has been a very good friend of mine. I've played a lot of cricket with Graham over the years. It was very helpful for me to have Graham come in at that situation and just calm me down a bit. Watching the tapes back, you were at your free-flowing best. It was the classic Hussein cover drives mm. through extra cover. It was wonderful to watch. At what point did you as a batsman think, I'm going to do this now? There must have, you must have got to a certain point where you thought, no, I'm going to get really. the 100. No, never. Because of that sort of fear of failure, because of the nervous cricketer I was, um, never really. But there are times, and that was one occasion, when I got to about 50 or 60, you get, you get, and the pitch was really good. I mean, it was just getting better and better, that pitch. 
Um, another time was Australia, 207 I got. There are times where you're in the bubble, you're in the zone. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, for the odd day, you, you know what it must feel like to be a Sachin or a Virat or a Brian Lara, where you just see the ball like a football, you're not hearing the chirps or anything. You're just watching the ball, hitting the ball, and that was one of those occasions. Didn't happen a lot, but that was one of those occasions. Paul Martin can only rub the ball and wait to be the instrument of victory as he comes in from the pavilion end and bows to Hussein, who drives again through extra cover. It's just beaten mid-off. It's going up to the Warner stand for four. England have won the first test match by seven wickets. It was a much closer game than that suggests. But Hussein, along with Andrew Strauss, let us never forget his part, is the hero of the moment. He is 106 not out. It's his 14th Test 100, his second against New Zealand, his third at Lords. And it's a marvellous achievement of will and skill. Handshakes all round. And then you decided that you would sort of hand it over to the youth that was Andrew Strauss. That was that was the clearest decision you've ever made? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've never... Uh, once I walked off and I sat on that balcony with a glass of champagne with with various teammates, it was, it was as clear. There was not a millisecond of doubt walking off that day that that was exactly what I was going to do. And obviously you spoke with Duncan Fletcher about it. He was sort of key in your career, wasn't he? he was yeah, he the, was. Yeah, he was, he, he, I enjoyed the combination with him. Uh, I never knew him when I first got the England cap. I came here, actually, again, to Lords as England captain, and they said, you know, Fletcher's. I was like, Keith Fletcher? Which Fletcher? <laughs> I've never met Duncan Fletcher. Um, and, you know, he's a stubborn old goat, and he's not everyone's cup of tea, but, boy, was he a good coach. He knew coaching. Some coaches tell you what you're doing wrong. Duncan Fletcher tells you how to put it right. And just... Following your retirement, that England team, the next year they won the 2005 Ashes. By 2011, Strauss had taken them to number one in the world. Do you feel that yourself and Duncan, I mean, obviously Fletcher was the coach um, the following year, but had you set up that transition for England? Do you, do you feel uh, a sense of pride to uh, look at it? I feel, always feel a sense of pride. <laughs> you play 96 test matches and you're captain your country. Um, there's a massive sense of pride there. I... I did what I could with my England side that we played under. We had a, a very good England side. We, my memories are winning in Pakistan in the gloom in Karachi, winning in Sri Lanka when we'd gone 1-0 down and Murali is spinning it both ways. We had a lot of fun. We played well. We'd made, I maybe, myself, Duncan, and the team made our, us difficult to beat. <clears throat> Michael Vaughan came in and took that one stage further and made him a winning team. Andrew Strauss, I thought, took him even further. Take him number one in the world, what Andrew Strauss and Andy Flower did. They were the great days of English cricket under Strauss and Flower. That 2010-11 Ashes series, I think that was one of the great series for English cricket. Go As we've seen since, 5-0, 5-0, whatever, whatever it's been, um, to see the, uh, Andrew Strauss's side win down. Still, still against a very good Australian side. That was a good Australian side. I think that was one of the great achievements over the last 20 years. And just on your Lord's career, you actually averaged 50 with the bat here in Test cricket. So you say it was a ground... Sound surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, you said it yourself earlier in the podcast. It was a ground that you couldn't get to grips with, but you did. You do. Once you get this place, that's the key. If I advise any... It's slightly different now. You know, the ridge is gone and it's not as fussy about its rules or whatever. Once you get this place... I mean, I remember Duncan. I go back to Duncan again. 
We used to take this place for granted. Other sides used to come here and respect this place sometimes more than we did. I remember watching Duncan, his first test here, he walked through the long room, he took his cap off in huge respect, and he went and had a look at the, the memorabilia in the long room and whatever. And it struck me then that, crikey, we take this place for granted. Um, it has got its rules. It is very, like I say, as England captain, on a Wednesday sometimes I'd be trying to walk through the long room to go and have a look at the pitch so I can mess up the toss again or whatever. And some old bloke will be on the door there saying, sorry, Mr. Hussein, this door's not open on a Wednesday or whatever. Could you go around the other way? And you, for a millisecond you go, really? I have to go all the way back out and around the other way? And then you think, no, this is Lord's. That's what makes this place special. And what they do at this place as well is they combine the old and the new magnificently. You know, you look at that old pavilion, but you go in there and the technology, and there you can be in the loose and you've got all the modern technology <laughs> telling you what the score is at Canterbury or Chelmsford or whatever. You look at this media centre, they combine the old and the new perfectly. So for me, it was working. I think the real time we worked out this place, the real change was that, and you may be able to tell me that which year it was, was the win against the West Indies in three three or four days when we had Goff and Caddick at the end, or no, Cork and Goff at the end. Against 2000. 2000, yeah. Ambrose-Walsh. What a great game of cricket that was. We won a close one. This place was absolutely buzzing that night. And I remember sitting on the balcony. I wasn't playing. I had my usual busted digit. Um, <laughs> and I remember, if we can get this place behind us, it is a great place to play cricket. And you mentioned those lose. Did you ever end up in them back? Did you, did, were you one of those batsmen which actually made your way through that long room okay, or did you go down the wrong flight I, of stairs? No, I've occasionally <laughs> gone the wrong way, but not out to bat. You know, I'm, I, I, you just occasionally you get stuck behind a sort of member, an old, <laughs> with, with all respect, and a slightly old, doddery member, and you're like, "Excuse me, sir, I've got to go and um, get out to Shane Warne in five minutes. Could you just <laughs> hurry along a little?" But, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Mr. Hussain, off you go. So, but I agree that 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 is this place. What other place in international cricket would you have to walk past a member to go out to face Warner McGrath or Ambrose and Walsh? Like I say, don't fight it. It is unique. It is brilliant. Um, that's why everyone loves playing here. Well, Nasser, thank you very much for um, coming on the Lord's Cricket Podcast and discussing uh, your moments at the home of cricket. I'm doing the research. You had so many. It's um, It was a real pleasure. And uh, just to finish on... For myself, really, have you relaxed a bit more? Because I, I felt tense reading your yeah, book at yeah, times. I was very. I mean, you got to remember, I, wrote, I did that book yeah. about two months after I retired. Of course. So if I redid it now, it'd be a bit more relaxed, and you can look back a little bit more philosophical, philosophically on things. But I'm afraid it sort of made me the cricketer and the captain that I was. Like I say, I'd love to be a bit more golf like or Peterson-like or whoever, Brian Lara-like and enjoy it. Shane Warne, you know, some of the greats have that sort of relaxed, carefree attitude that made them the cricketers they were. Um, but I wasn't. I was, you know, I was a fairly tense, in-your-face, heart-on-sleeve sort of character and it sort of made me the cricketer I was. Well, it was a great pleasure and <clears throat> thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for the chat. listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast, the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. And that was the Nasser Hussain story. Quite an amazing moment really when it comes to fairy tale endings. You could not have written a better script. And it feels fitting really for Nasser and his character. He clearly battled with a lot as a cricketer, not least his own self-doubt. So as he said in the podcast, to have that moment where he could play with that free 
freedom and just smell the roses, so to speak, is great. Uh, I'd like to say a big thanks to NASA for taking his time to record the podcast. And also, as ever, a big thanks to the ECB and the BBC for providing those commentary clips. They really do add to it and it's fantastic to hear those moments again, reliving them as well as having the person that was there in the room with me, Nasser Hussain. Thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Um, I'd just like to give a quick mention to Duncan Jenkinson. He got in touch with the show via email, podcast at mcc.org.uk. Thanks for your kind words about the show, Duncan. Much appreciated. Glad you've enjoyed listening to the series. Um, Duncan himself actually hosts his own show called The Sports Insider Podcast. You can find that on all the good podcast providers. Just type it in. Um, He sits down with experts and players from various sports, from boxing to table tennis to to the the Ironman event. Um, I believe he's working on a new series, so make sure to check that out. So this is the end of this series, um, one of the latest incarnation of the Lord's Cricket Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Make sure to check out some of the other episodes. Um, We've sat down with Graham Gooch, Kumar Sangakara, Darren Goff, Marcus Jaskothic, Alan Donald, Graham Onions and Graham Foxy Fowler. Those are all available from the relevant podcast providers wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I hope to do a new series in the coming months, sit down with some more legends of the game and get their Lord's cricketing stories and much, much more. Uh, please do get in touch with the show via Twitter. We're at Home Cricket or me personally at Row. Too. Uh, if there's anyone you'd like to hear, let me know and I'll do my best to get them on the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Lord's Cricket Podcast. <laughs>